Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and I'm back here with my friend Scott Lease. It is the beginning of March 2020 and we are literally just days back from Surf and Sales 4. So we're both relaxed, we are both uh, better educated, we are, well Scott's at least a better surfer than he was, um, although he was never bad to begin with, but we're glad to be with you. And we're joined today uh, by a really super smart individual as well as a friend of ours, or both of ours, uh, Daryl Prale, who is the CMO of VanillaSoft. If you haven't ever been to VanillaSoft, be sure to check it out. He actually has his own podcast, which we both like. We've been on. Um, it's called Inside the Inside Sales Podcast. So um, go check it out. It's also uh, very well um, edited, for lack of a better phrase. Like it looks all <laughs> professional compared to us. So, but we're okay with that. We we like our we 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 like the our raw version. Uh, he, they, uh, Vanilla Soft is also the title sponsor of the upcoming Outbound Unleashed happening in San Diego um, later on in April. And so if you haven't checked that out, you should as well. But Daryl, after that long introduction, welcome to our show. Richard, my friend, it is so nice of you to come back from the surf and the sand and the sun and, you know, schlep with guys like me who've been stuck here in the winter doing real jobs. <laughs> Real jobs, huh? Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, why is that our fault? Because running a conference in another country is very uncomplicated. <laughs> Scott, Scott, I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. You were getting shit done, right? You were there. You were working with them. You were closing deals. I didn't see Harris post anything about any deals he closed while doing that shtick. You tell my, me. My, my clients require an NDA. It's top secret. Oh, okay. There we go. There we go. Welcome back, gents. I'm glad you came back. Did you bring the sun with you? Because Lord knows here up in Canada, we could sure as hell use it. I, I, I brought a little bit to Austin over the weekend. Yeah, I got a little, a little bit. <laughs> like Austin needs more sun. My gosh, that's annoying yeah. as hell. I like that about you guys. <laughs> so what was the highlight? I got to ask, what was the highlight of the event? Because, I mean, for those who are listening, I'm turning the tables on you already, Richard. You, you can't control me. Uh, tell He's me about awesome. the event. And, and for those who didn't go, what did they miss out on? Because you're just fresh back. So you've Great got question. Time to- um, you know, the... the- the pieces there are that, you know, it's about 18 to 20 people every time we do it. So it sets up much more intimate conversations. Um, it's not a bro and booze fest by any means. Um, so it's, it's not a party, which of course everybody seems to think it is, but it's not. I think the thing that you missed the most, I actually wrote about it today is, is the content's always good, no matter what conference you go to. Um, well, generally, uh, but but it's the in-between moments that are my favorite, right? It's, it's that moment after one session before the next one begins or, you know, over dinner where you're sitting down getting to know someone and all of a sudden you realize that, you know, you both have a passion for watching curling do the, during the Winter Olympics for no reason, right? You've never paid attention to the sport any other time of the year. And you get to know people and then you can also share your experiences about life or the content that was discussed. So I call it those in-between moments that are really powerful and particularly at our conference because it's, a much more, a much smaller group, you get to spend time with people for hours. Like you don't, it, it's not like, oh, you just met somebody at a bar, you do a shot and that kind of thing. So that for me is the big, is my favorite takeaway. So what was the catalyst that led you guys to actually do this down South? They know somewhere warm, somewhere tropical. Well, we, <clears throat> we were actually in Costa Rica on vacation with our family together when we hit upon the idea 
Um, and I had been to this particular part of Costa Rica a few times before. So there's familiarity there and comfort and really consistent waves that are gentle for beginners and things like that. The weather's good. So, you know, we've, we've got this particular part of Costa Rica really dialed in at this point in time. Um, well, that, that's, that's why we just kind of keep going, keep going back there. We're going to explore some other areas as well. Um, but Costa Rica is kind of home. It's kind of HQ for surf and sales now. Now, is it just once a year or is it more than once a year? Mm-hmm. Just no, it's, we've, we've, we've actually did one in 2018, two in 2019, and we have three planned for this year. You have three freaking plants? Okay, so, because my question would be, because the Canadian to me is very conscious of going down south, make sure I don't, uh, I avoid hurricane season and all the other kind of things. But if I go down in the summertime, because I'm so used to the cold weather, I'm going to melt. So when do you typically do these sessions so that guys like me will survive? Well, there's, there's usually one in Q1, so like February, March, and then September, October is another good time. Uh, to go down there um, and we're we haven't announced the date for our what will be our surf tail six so it would be our third one this particular year but we're uh we're thinking about kind of doing a couple back to back seeing if we can oh. stay down there a little longer and maybe specialize uh, one of them like an executive only or we've kicked around the idea of a, a women only event or an SDR only event things like that I love where you're going with this. You're still keeping it intimate. You're not, you're growing it, but you're still keeping it intimate. That's pretty cool. I respect yeah, it's, that. It's, it's really only limited by, you know, 52 Fine. weeks, 52 weeks in the year and, and, and how many weeks a year our families forgive us for going overseas and working as, uh, as you, <laughs> as you so adroitly put it. So you, you're, you've been a part of, of big conferences for a long, a long time and you're, you're promoting one. What, what is the hardest part for you as somebody who's, you know, putting together events and participating in events and, and running the, the show? I mean, share some, share some knowledge with us. What are, what are some things that we need to make sure that we would get better at, um, you know, as, as we do more of these kind of events? You being the marketing expert amongst the group. The, the marketing expert. That's 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 up for debate. I'm I'm uh, well, I'm the three of us at least. Yeah. Yes. I have it in my title, so I should have an answer. That's a fair point. Um, for me, the biggest thing over and over again has been the content, right? Because you can have a great venue, you can have uh, hopefully wonderful weather and uh, great food, and you usually find those kind of things. But it truly is the content. Because there are so many events going on anymore that it's like, well, why does this content and this event differentiate from that content and that event? Yada, yada, yada. So uh, I, I want to challenge you on that because I think to your point. No. Harris yeah. is going to challenge me? I love it. So, why, what, what is so it? I don't, Go for it. I, I do think, I mean, certainly content matters, right? There, there's definitely, yep. con- it, you know, bad content is bad content. But I also think that it's becoming more experiential. Right. Like if you think about the, the millennials and the Gen Z, like they want an experience. They don't want to go to, you know, the places you and I grew up going to. Oh, there's a conference in Phoenix in July. Not that I have anything against Phoenix in July, but it's kind of hot there. Um, yes, there's nice resorts and you can do it at something like that. But or, or go into, you know, somewhere in the middle of the country, which, again, not the worst place. But I think there has to be some level of of experience around it which is i think one of the reasons we we built this was 
there's the surfing experience. This year we added zip lining, which everybody really loved. Um, you know, we have this great uh, place we go for a last night dinner that's a, you know, they've got zip lining and a pool and we hang out and we, you know, do, they grill up this ridiculous amount of food, like for a small army. And it's, you know, it's just an experience. And I think to me, that's the piece that's starting to come through more as well as the content. Like, it's kind of like, okay, the content's good. Yep. It's good content check. But now what's my experience going to be like? So I agree with you to a degree. Um, I think in your case, what you've done a really good job on is taking something that, that was experiential and that experiential thing really helps you differentiate from all the other offerings out there combined with your size. It's quite intimate and it's intentionally intimate. So I'm going to get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with my heroes, Scott and Richard. You know, that is really attractive. That is truly the experience as you said. Um, however, I can imagine, and you tell me if I'm wrong, there's a lot of people out there who would love to go to your event but management who flips the bill will be viewing that as a boondoggle because you just want to go for the surf and the sun and the food and the booze and this is just a paid vacation i'm not, i know it's not but i imagine that's a business case they need to make uh, the reason i say content is because too many conferences have content that is really nothing but non-stop vendor pitches masked as content when the reality is i could just read their brochures and get the exact same information and save myself some time. So getting people to actually have real life lessons, case studies, how to's that I can take away and apply real time. Uh, that's what I mean by content, real solid content with credible, credible speakers too, people who know their shit. Um, yeah. and have, uh, that's big for me. So I just view them as two different conferences. If I'm looking at all those events in Phoenix or in Atlanta or in San Francisco, et cetera, you're hundred percent spot on. Give me content. The other angle to go to your point exactly is experiential and I love it. And it's just, it's just, it's not wrong. It's just different. Do you, do you think there's enough differentiation of content at some of these larger events? Mm -hmm. No, yep. and that's and that's why I break up the point because too many of them are like freaking. It's the same freaking. You just gave that PowerPoint the last three events. You know, maybe you twisted it a little bit, but it's the exact same shit. And if anybody's active in the industry, you you, you see it all. You see the story over and over again. Like I can name drop right now a half a dozen speakers. It doesn't matter what conference I go to. It's almost predictable what they're going to talk about. And name what, drop so, them. Go for it. Go for I'm it. Not gonna, I'm not going to do it. I will save that for a one-on-one -on -one conversation at the surf and sales event. But well, you know, uh, the other thing is you, you, you guys both mentioned off offhand that, um, you know, there's some lousy kind of content out there. What, what is lousy content other than a vendor pitch? What does lousy content look like at, at a conference? And, and even online, I mean, we're certainly at a point in LinkedIn where, people are calling out, not by name, but calling out and saying, <clears throat> man, I'm seeing tons of bad advice and, <clears throat> and uh, you know, be careful who you listen to and this kind of thing. But there's no like, you know, um, there's no verification process with somebody who's got good advice or bad, bad advice. So I'm, I'm curious, what, what makes poor content outside of vendor pitching at a event? And, and how is somebody who, is maybe more junior in their career supposed to discern what, what is good content and bad content if they go to one of these kind of events in, in your mind? It's tough yeah, so my, 
You know, it's actually an excellent question. Um, so asked another way, what do I look for in content that would help me? Because if it works for me, it would work for anybody, no matter where you are in your career progression. Um, if, if, you're, if you're speaking in generalities and really high level, then, oh my God, I did an up talk there. Sorry, guys. In really high level, if you're doing that, then it's, it's brutal because it's like, yeah, so what? So if you can't show me numbers, if you can't tell me exactly step by step by step what to do, how to do it, you know, what caveats there are along the way, how do you get buy-in, you know, what's the investment up front, what's the staffing requirements, you know, how does this compare and contrast to other, you know, tactics or, or approaches you could take, you know, then... You're really, you're really looking for details. Well, what's the point, right? I mean... Yeah. I can go to your point and watch a 60 or two minute, 60 second or two minute video on LinkedIn or Twitter or even YouTube and get those generalities up. But for me to incur the travel and living expenses of going to an event, it's gotta be substantial because here's why. My bosses, again, who pay the bill, they're gonna come back and say, what did you learn? How are you gonna apply it? And show me the ROI and that money we just gave you to go to that event. And if you can't do that, then it was a waste of time. And you, do you agree that that should be the, the way that bosses are viewing these kind of events? So ROI focused, driven like that? Yeah, I, I think I do. And the reason sure. why is because there's so much content I can get for free right now. So you know what i look but, at but doesn't but doesn't that then mean the content is not really the reason to go to these things if i can get all this content no because what i can't get from watching a youtube video is i can't get a couple things i can't probe the speaker say whoa 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 stop the horses how did you do that or what am i missing here right because it's a one way i can't hear the conversation in the crowd of other people asking those same questions i can't get the sidebar conversations going on yeah. where me and my colleague are talking about what they just said up there so that's bullshit or that's oh my gosh i hadn't thought of that that's not the content <laughs> but that is the content the content sparks that if it's just a generality none of that happens right so, so chicken ch chicken and egg acknowledged but yeah. you got to have good content to spark good conversation. Fair enough. Yeah. What, I have a question. So, because this is my favorite thing all the time is, you know, what's the ROI, right? And as a marketer, you probably, you can probably pitch this better than I can as a salesperson, right? Because you have to pitch <laughs> what you're hosting, what you're doing. Yeah. And my, the biggest challenge I see is that I don't care what formula you come up with. Nobody believes the R. They only look at the I. Right, Steve Jobs could resurrect himself today and come up with the best ROI calculator, and there would still be somebody out in the world who says, "No, that's the, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it, even though it's Steve Jobs." Right? Like, how do you? And maybe this is just advice for us in sales who aren't maybe as well versed at it. How do you pitch the ROI? How do you teach that? Like, that's that's yeah. not a skill that's ever taught to anybody that I know of. No, it's not. In fact, I wish it was because this is something I've had to learn over the years because you're right. So for those, again, who are young in their career and don't fully understand, you know, unlike you who are perhaps in a sales role, my job as, you know, head of marketing is I'm responsible for millions of dollars, millions of dollars in spend. Um, all the other departments, the only spend they primarily have is on staffing in you know, generality, but I have to spend for trade shows. I have to go to Costa Rica to surf in sales. I have to do all these really, you know, big investments. Um, so I've got a lot of practice at this. When I get people who push back on the on the uh, on the I, 
and you are 100% spot on, then a couple of things have happened wrong. One, I didn't communicate in advance or set the stage properly leading up to the ask. I have to start, this is sales 101. You have to start establishing value early on, understand the pain, understand the goals and objectives, and then offer this up as a possible solution to the pain. So the I is not really an I because if we do nothing about it, then we still have pain. So walk, right. walk, walk me through a use case. Walk me through just from your perspective, right? Like how do you do that when you say, hey, we're going to go to this conference, right? We're, we've decided to spend money at sure. Outbound Unleash. We're the title sponsor. How do you pitch that? Um, okay, so that's a great world? example. Let me use an example. So the, the conference actually is the Outbound Conference, not Outbound Unleash, but it's close. And it's in Atlanta. But it's, that's, uh, so that's a really good example. Title sponsor. I went and it's I said, I want to be – it's in Atlanta and May 5th to 8th. Oh, they're doing Our, one there too. I didn't know they were going on the road. Oh, cool. I, no, no, no. I, don't, I think it's a different conference. Outbound conference with Hunter and Arino Blunt. Oh, that outbound. Ah, yes. And Victor it. Antonio. And, uh, but that's a good example. How do I go and say, I want to be title sponsor with this price tag versus just a sponsor with a much lower price tag. All right. And so in my case, what I did in that one is I said, well, what is our goal and objective? Is our, so I'll set the stage, all right? For those who don't know VanillaSoft, let me make it real simple for you. You've never heard of VanillaSoft before? Have you heard of SalesLoft? Have you heard of Outreach? And your answer is going to be, well, yeah. Okay, bam. You've just, you've just set the table for me. You've not heard of me, but you have heard of them. Well, damn it, I don't like that. I want you to know about me as much as them. So I will be shortlisted when you do your evaluation for a sales engagement platform. Okay, that's our problem as a company. How do I overcome it? Outbound is an example where I can say they had 18 of the world's, you know, most established speakers with the biggest followers. You know, Hunter's got 220,000. And Tony's got a million YouTube followers. And the list goes on. You get the idea, right? So these are people with massive reach. And as title sponsor, I get every single one of them. I can have access to every single one of those 18 speakers and have them on my podcast and have them on my webinar before the event ever takes place. And those people are going to promote themselves leading up to the webinar. And they're going to tag me and they're going to tag the company. And so I get brand by association that I would never get otherwise. The, the tier yeah. two, tier three sponsors will never get that. So kids, are Love we... That. Are we in agreement that if we had more visibility and more awareness and more third-party endorsement that we may get invited to more, you know, deals to, to contend on? Yes. Okay. So if that's our pain, this is the investment. The return is this visibility, this exposure, and that will live on because I'm going to bring a video crew with me. So it's not just leaving it up to it. I'm going to interview the bejesus out of them while I'm there. I'm going to have lots of visibility. I'll have a booth, lots of leads. And that concept will last for the next 12 to 24 months over and over again due to the YouTube and Google and SEO. Whew, can I, I can't buy that media anywhere else. That's exactly the argument I made. So what was the pain? What's our solution? That's great. Let's take the conversation. Can you actually put a return on that though? Oh, or, yeah. or is there a little bit of faith? No, there's a little bit of both. All right. So theoretically, if we do our job right, we're going to have so many meetings set up in advance and the folks at Outbound and the other speakers are going to support us that we're going to actually be able to set up enough meetings before the, the event ever takes place. So how many deals do we need to close to get an ROI? That's pretty simple math. I can figure that out without any hiccups. Um, 
That's the ROI. Yes, though, part of it is subjective. So part, so part of the ROI then is how many meetings can we set up because this event is occurring? Correct. That's right. Not what are our new net new meetings going to be after the event, if I'm hearing you correctly. It's both. But how right. many? It is both. But, it's but that, both. That, that's right. I'm just, to the people who don't, you know, sort of You're think right. about it this way, you got to pitch. How many can I set up in advance? You're right. There's a math. And then you have to say, and how many more can I set up as a result from all these 1,200, 1,400 attendees in the, in the audience who now see me for the first time and go, damn, we were looking at sales loft or outreach. I hadn't thought about vanilla soft. Let's get invited to the table. So it's a combination thereof. Because sometimes, as we all know, you need to be hit and touched multiple times before you finally actually act. Scott, you want to go a different direction. What direction do you want to go in, my friend? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to learn more about how you actually got into sales and, and progressed your way into where you are now as a VP of marketing and that, and a little bit of that whole dynamic. We've had some conversations before with people about the, the sales and marketing dynamic, but how did, how did you get started in, in sales? Were you born this way, so to, so to speak, and just came out, you know, selling candy and baseball cards and stuff like that? Or were you more, which was Richard, by the way, or were you more like me who, you know, stumbled into sales really late, later in life. Um, I, I'm probably more like you, Scott. Um, thank right. goodness. Thank goodness. Exactly. I don't want to be like Harris. Holy smokes. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so the answer is, uh, you know, I was a loner growing up. I was that outcast that no one talked to because apparently I was too smart and too dweeby to have any friends. And so, hey, that's life. But what's cool about that is that everybody wants to be accepted. So how do you do that? Well, you study all the cool kids and you see what goes on. You basically become your own professional shrink. So I did a lot of studying going on. It finally came around in high school. that I, It made me grade 10, grade 11. When I finally figured out, for me, what worked was this whole concept of humor. Humor was the great equalizer. If I could make people laugh, then I could actually get their attention and they would like me because I was the entertaining guy around. So that was the first part of my process. Second part of my process, though, was... I went to school to be, you know, a, a, a computer developer, a sys software developer. Really? That's, that's my education, dude. And wow. I code it. I code it for five odd years, but, before, but there is a story. So I go to school to be a software developer. I'm good at it. And I get, you know, my last year of school, though, I get involved in student government because I was pissed off at how money was being pissed away. So I become the student union president. And now I am like Mr. Social and having fun because we were the in crowd. And then I didn't quite graduate with the rest of my class because of that. You know, we had fun along the way. Yeah. And uh, but I did graduate within the year to the modern miracles of night school. But anyway, the point is, when I finished my my education, I said, I don't want to be a software developer anymore. I'm burnt out of being a software developer. What do I do? And I asked all my friends and my family, and they said, you know, girl, you'd be good in sales. And I like, sales? Me? I'm an introvert. And they said, no, you. So I looked around, and eventually what I did was I got my first job, and that, my friends, was selling photocopiers door to door. So talk about door a crash. Door, door oh to God, door. That that's fantastic. Wow. Yes. I had no idea. Yes. So here I am, I go out and I, let me see, this would have been 1988. I go it, out and I this, buy. Is this I, in Canada, by the way? This is in Canada. This would have been in Toronto at the time. So you really so are go, like traipsing through the snow. Uh, I, I am. Dragging and, yeah. and, and in those days we had to have a vehicle because we had product with us. I go out and buy this yeah. gently used 20, 
what am I, 21, buying a minivan. And I you have to carry you have to carry this printer. Yes, you have big ones and little ones. Back of a freaking you know Plymouth Voyager minivan, bright red, and off I go door to door. And I'm you know you know I'm on all the strip malls, you know the mechanics and the HVAC and the air conditioning guys and the accountants and everybody else knocking on doors, wearing my suit, you know pitching my wares and getting my ass handed to me over and over and over again. And going, what is wrong with me? And then you go back to the pit at the end of the day and you debrief with all your colleagues and you share your stories, talk about what worked, what didn't, how your activity numbers were. Uh, and you see these guys who were kicking ass and people like me who weren't kicking ass. And so for me, what I was getting woke up to very fast was just the whole idea of dealing with rejection, having the right mindset. It's all about activity, making sure you know your value prop. Um, where I didn't like what I saw, especially in that industry, was a lot of people didn't care about the customer and they would screw them over to get the sale. Hated that. So did that for six, eight months. And I said, okay, I'm tired of this. I want to go back to being a software developer. Became a software developer. Did that for, uh, say, four or five years. Got tired of doing that. Wait, wait, you survived as a software developer for four to five years? I did. This is incredible. You, you yeah. have, I mean, you know, you have more personality then, um, <laughs> but that's also half, half, of, half of Silicon Valley's startup <laughs> developing community. But that's also why I got out of it. I was getting more and more like, Ugh, I don't want to be behind this screen all the time. How do I get out of this? And where the hell do I go? They, they probably kicked you out because you were way too loud for them and talkative. Yeah, in those days, I wasn't bad because it was, but it was, yeah, at one point there, I was working for an actuarial firm doing software development. Talk about shoot yourself um so what i ended up doing though and this is a, wonder, a wonderful transition was i went to work for a software company who i knew i was a, an expert in their in, in their in their languages as a sales engineer yeah right so now i'm in the sales world yeah but i i'm the engineer i'm the guy going you know whiz bang boom look at the demo and sure i can mock that up freaking here we go and you know you're going to close the deal and i'm traveling to all these corporate accounts with my sales guy and uh, and this is what we did for a couple of years along the way i went from sales engineer to product management because it was a natural fit because they needed help to product marketing wait can we can we sit with the sales engineer bit sure. for a minute no yeah, yeah. Not that much. Not that many people talk about this, and it's it's actually a role that doesn't even exist in a lot of companies. So, You're right. It, it briefly explain to the audience like what does a sales engineer do, and what what I'm curious about is what are the ways that the sales engineer and the AE kind of butt heads. What what's like what's oh. that dynamic there? Oh, I know some of this, but I just want to hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, sales engineer for those who don't know was really prevalent in the era when it was all full sales cycle, right? So you didn't have the whole split between an SDR slash BDR and an AE. That's the first thing you need to know. You know, you're a sales rep. You did it. You, you killed what you hunted and away you go. The role of the sales engineer was the sales rep on a software company or even a hardware company would go out to big ass accounts and it would say, I want to say this custom piece of software that you can do to do, you know, this big project you've got maybe you want to do a killer piece of payroll but you've got to integrate to an as 400 and you got to integrate to an hp 3000 and you got a fax machine because you have multiple systems because you've had roll-ups and consolidations and you got to have payroll in all these different countries and blah 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 so they need to know that your software your hardware your platform can actually meet their needs so a software engineer would go 
let me mock it up for you. And I'm going to do you a proof of concept and I'm going to pull a little bit of data from the AS400 and a little bit of data from the HP 3000 and a little bit of data from the VAX. And I'm going to then show you different taxes. And it's just, you know, it's a mock-up. It's a proof of concept. Uh, maybe we charge you for it. Often we don't. And uh, because it's a big-ass deal, that's a cost of sale. And then I go and show it to you in a week or two's time and say, ta-da, there you go. See, it works. We're good. And they go, wow, that looks fantastic. And the sales rep goes, now that we've proven it, can we talk seats and licenses and hardware and maintenance and all the other wonderful stuff? That's the role of the sales engineer was to prove that what claims the sales rep was making about their product were real. Claims the sales reps making on the product is... And it sounds like you don't believe the sales reps were telling the truth, Daryl. And Scott's second question was, what was the biggest conflict? You hit that's it. The, that's, that's the conflict, right? The, the, that's the conflict right there. Line or outright embellishment? Yes. They yeah. would, can, can you do this? Yes. Can you do this? Yes. It was always yes. And then we would leave the meetings because in those days we didn't have, you know, the internet yet, really. We weren't doing face-to-face -face and Zoom. We were face-to-face -face on site. Um, and they would turn to you and go, we can do that, right? And I would go, not oh, really, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, over and over again, I would be saving their asses and bailing them out. And I would do the, well, I know Johnny said we could do this. And he was right. But what Johnny didn't know was there's this little angle, but that's okay. Because there's still a way we can do it, and it's, and it's and it's of course now you're just that's where you, the messaging came in as a sales engineer was you had to make Johnny the sales rep look like he was really smart and had their back. Well, you basically said Johnny doesn't know shit. Let me show you how it really works. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that the embellishment era is over, or in the process of ending, or neither? I think it has subdued. I don't think it'll ever end. Uh, what's changed now versus then is just the proliferation of social media and uh, and, and social proof and review sites yeah. that can that can quickly checks call, and call checks and balances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you nailed it. That didn't exist back then. You know, back then, if I wanted to actually see if it was factual, I had to call up and you know, a prospect would have to call one or two or three of my customers. And the only way they would really know those names is if I gave them to them. Which means, in the meantime, I've already told the customer what to say to the prospect. So the checks and balances are very different now. Do you think, do you think though, uh, particularly with the proliferation of inside sales, right? And this capability of Zoom and things like that, that, and, and a younger, more tech savvy generation, do you feel like the sales reps are getting smarter though? Like they actually do take a minute to try and understand the tech side of things a little bit more, right? Like even at Vanilla Soft, right? Um, do they, do you think that, I, I feel like that's happening. Like, I feel like there's an actual uh, interest or curiosity. Well, how does that work? So next time it comes up, I can explain it. Not to say they want to take away a sales engineer's capabilities, but do you see the reps at least getting, making some attempts to getting smarter? To become more technical. Yeah. So the answer is yes, but it's also kind of a chicken and egg thing here as well. So yes, they are more technical and they are making an attempt. However, what we also have now is we have people like, you know, Richard Harris and Scott Lees, who are killer sales trainers and coaches and mentors who are actively out there on social media, you know, on video, you know, one-on-one -on -one sessions that didn't really exist back then. We have sales and 
sales enablement tools are all about the training and the messaging. We have built-in scripting tools and, and objection handling tools right within the sales engagement platforms. So in some, where they were weak before, we've systemized ways to overcome their weakness uh, and made more available to them. So it's a little bit of both. Yes, they're more technical because it's also more tech-savvy generation. The millennials are way more tech-savvy than the, you know, the Gen Xers, as an example. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's it, sort of what I was wondering. Yeah, it absolutely is definitely the case. But yes, there's still a lot of bullshit that goes on. Um, and what's crazy now, as a, as a marketer, you know, for me, as it relates to that bullshit factor, is that I'm constantly going to my support leaders in my company and my success leaders in my company and my salespeople at the companies saying, you can't bullshit these people anywhere along the way because it's all about customer experience. And if at any step of the way you bullshit them and they get PO'd at us, they're going to go to Glassdoor or they're going to go to G2 or Captera or Trustradius or Google and they're going to say, we suck. And that's going to affect my ability to close future business. So, Not just your ability, all of your colleagues yes ability as well and that's right theory the employment of everybody in the particular company yeah you nailed it so we are all tied to we've never been so tied to the hip by each other's success or or failures because of that uh so yeah customer you know i am all over that we're, we're way back when i was young in my career that was you know i don't think i ever talked to anybody in marketing and the so, word customer experience never came up so did you ever sort of going back to your experience. So did you ever move from sales engineer to a quota carrying sales rep or? I what? In fact, not have I been a quota carrying sales rep. I've actually been ultimately a VP of sales twice. So uh, yes, I carried a bag. Yes, I worked the phones. Yes, I did. I was both, if you will, in modern nomenclature and SDR working on the inside sales as well as an account executive. So I did do that. I was okay at it. I would never, never suggest that was my sweet spot. There's a reason I'm in marketing now. I'm better at marketing than was at sales. But candidly, there's an, there's an element of DNA, I think, that you have to be wired for it. And, and I don't think I was. And let me explain what I mean. Um, the DNA means you have to get excited. I got a quota. Damn it. What do I got to do to tackle that wall and kick that ass? And here we go. And yes, I'm down. And yes, I need more numbers. But I'm going to do it. You know, I'm wired that way. For me, I hate it the quote. I'm just being full disclosure here. And that was years of carrying one because it'd be, this would be like what would happen. It would it'd be at the end of the week or end of the month or end of the quarter. I'll use the quarter example. Woo. End of the quarter, day 90 in the quarter. Done. We hit our number yesterday. Woo. Thank freaking God. High five. Let's go drinking. Okay. Done. Woo. See you tomorrow boys. Come back the next day. <sighs> okay. It's 24 hours later and my quota starts all over again. Yeah. I, 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 I always said, Sweet. I, the next 12 hours are going to be amazing. Yes. And I hated that. I hated that. <laughs> I hated that. I was like, I was like, shoot yeah. me. Can I have a couple days, please? So yeah. the only way, the only way you can kind of manufacture that is if the quarter or the month ends on a Friday and you've got a Saturday. <laughs> it's Friday. true. It's true. You nailed it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, no, there's no time to relax or soak up the W. So how did you, how did you, uh, how did you manage? So how did you go to marketing then? I mean, I, I see, I see a path, right? Like I see. And something. he didn't yeah. want a quota anymore. Beautiful. Yeah. So what would happen is, is I would do, uh, and, and one of those jobs is a good example. I was, I was the head of marketing and then I became head of sales and marketing because the sales guy got shot and they said, Daryl, you've got a sales background. You've managed teams. You do it. And that was great. And I think it was that moment in time. I find out that epiphany says, okay, 
I love sales. I do sales. I get sales. The sales is not what makes me happy. Yeah, but it's how did you, how did you make the, how'd you make the, the jump? I went back and forth. I changed jobs. I literally just changed jobs. I just said, okay, I've got sales on my resume. Remember, sales engineer to product management, to product marketing to marketing, then back into sales again. All right. So I'm in this back and forth process for a couple of jobs. I think you've uh, done, you've been every role except a CFO or a CFO. Oh my God. You don't want me to be a CFO. I'm good at spending stuff, but don't ask me to track it. Yeah. No, I've done a lot for sure. Uh, this, That's part of your sales DNA, by the way, to spend money. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. It's true. Um, but, but in the end, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I always tell people who are earning their career, don't, a couple things. Never be afraid to fail, all right? So I learned eventually sales wasn't where I was at. I was okay at it. I'll never profess to being great at it. Uh, I was okay at it. I understood it. It just wasn't how I was wired. Um, I wasn't afraid to change, to go, okay, I'm do marketing now. Okay, I'll go back to sales now. Maybe, maybe that last sales gig I had was just a bad experience. Yeah. Maybe, but I want to make some more money and there's commission that I'm, I'm going to try it again. Oh, shit. No, it wasn't a bad experience. It's the same old, same old, yeah. you know? Give yourself permission to experiment, to try those things. You know, you know here's the one thing I'll, I'll tell you. There's a lot of sales folks out there right now who are listening and, and they're saying, well, I know I could go into marketing if I want to, but I don't really want to do marketing. Marketing sucks. Well, yeah, marketing might suck for you. But, but maybe you're the best freaking marketer going because you get sales. You know, maybe you'll just be more pleased, more happy. Don't discount it because of a stereotype. Check it out. I'll give you an example. If, if when you're doing selling, you're more excited about your cadences and your open rates and your catchy click-throughs, there's a good chance you might have more fun in marketing it's than like in a, sales. It's like a whole Jeff Foxberry line. Yes, you might be a marketer if. You got yeah. it. So in, in the same breath, if you're in marketing and you're listening to this wonderful podcast and, and you're like, yeah, I, I love marketing, but you know what? What I really love is when I do that tactic, that email, whatever, and it closes the sale, dude, you might be in sales, you know, get your ass over there. Check it out yeah. because yeah. you're being wasted in one of those spots. Yeah, I, I think, I think you're probably one of the, and we've had several marketers on who we, we both love and are really smart, but you, you definitely, from what I know, have an amazing background. Like you really do speak with empathy and perspective on it. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, for your CEO who's listening, you're probably underpaid. So um, I agree. Talk <laughs> to that bastard. Um, actually my CEO and I'll honestly, and I'm not saying this is like up to him, best fricking CEO ever. And I'll give you an example. <laughs> he, when he hired me, he did not give me a single piece of feedback for six months. Can you imagine that? Six months in the job, never once saying, great job there, or you, you really dropped the ball there. Like, good or bad? Nothing. I'd say, yeah, we have a webinar coming up. Like, good luck with that, Daryl. You know, I, always I affirming. Smile, the smile on Scott's face is like, I am so jealous of you. Like, yeah, I, was, I get it. <laughs> and it well, was only after six months when I had finally proven my abilities. He finally pulled me in his office. Daryl, it's been six months. And he finally gave me feedback. And thankfully, it was good. My point being, why he's great was he recognized he hired me for a reason. And he let me succeed or fail. Whatever I needed, it was available to me. But he didn't micromanage me. And, and because of that, immense loyalty, everything else. It's, that's, I've worked for enough bad people in my career that are, I'm so grateful when I work for somebody good. That's great. Well, how can we uh, how can we help you, Daryl, as we wrap up 
here. This is okay. So here's how you can help me. All right. Kids, we've talked about this earlier already. Talked about my challenge. I want to know why you are buying SalesLoft and Outreach and not even considering VanillaSoft. Tell me. Come to me on Twitter. Come to me on LinkedIn. Pick up the phone. Send me an email. I don't give a crap. I want to know why you have not considered VanillaSoft. That's what I want to know. I'm a marketer appealing to a sales audience because, damn it, I know my products better. Yeah. I know my products better. Hopefully, hopefully everybody listening takes Daryl up on this and, and blasts his inbox full of I do. You know what I did the other day? I was on a, a webinar the other day talking about blasting my inbox. Uh, we had uh, 3,500 people sign up for this webinar. And on this webinar, I'm like, we, one of the things that came up was the whole idea of LinkedIn voice messages or yep. video messages and and people are the you know the q a box is going nuts chat window's going nuts what do you mean tell me more about this stuff so i said i said you know it only works if you have a connection so here's what you do guys i want you to connect with me and then i want you to send me your best voicemail intro your best video intro and i got i bet you a hundred people who did that so I spent the next two days responding back to them great intro improve here that was great don't do it again i love it so yeah, go ahead. Spam me. I'm cool with it. I love it. It's what it's all about. It's great. I'll, I'll give you my feedback. Yes, do it. Or, or answer to that exact question. Ready? Yes. So, I mean, you kind of already said it. Like, I never heard of Vanilla Soft yep. until probably the last year and a half. Yep. And, I, and I've been an active operating senior yes, have. sales for a very long time. Um, and I... I have relationships that I built and established um, almost eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, um, you know, with, with some folks at sales law um, and more recently over the last few years, um, folks at outreach. Um, and I just, I've never even, never even heard of it. Candidly. Yep. I mean, I'd already sort of cemented myself in, in one camp, through the relationships and the relationships really matter, you know, to me. They're huge. To yeah, me. No, spot on. Yep. Um, so that, that, that's, that's, that's my take. You know? And now, now you know why they hired me because they recognize that. Here's the funny part. Vanilla Soft has been around since 2005. We predate outreach. We predate sales yeah. loft. Never knew so that. yeah, no, it's crazy. Yeah. I don't, no one knows that. And but here's to, a, to tap to, you know, to give you a little more kudos, like, you are probably the reason I know Vanilla Soft and no other reason. Candidly, I don't want to make your I don't want to make your head get any bigger than it's it's and it's already big. Let me trust you that one. Uh, yeah. No, I hear that on a regular basis. That Daryl, if you left Vanilla Soft, they they, they might fade away into the noise. And uh, so all that means is that they better pay me well, so I keep on staying. But no, in, in all regard, it's a good product. It's a really yeah. good product. Yeah, so, I would I would agree with with what Scott says. I've known. You know, I've known uh, the folks at SalesLoft since it was long before what it is now. Um, and those relationships matter. And I, I knew uh, Outreach and Max and those folks, you know, long before I knew VanillaSoft until until I met you, right? Yep. And um, so I, let, let me ask, well, we got, we got about two minutes. So I'm going to ask you this one last closing question. Do it. So, you know, there are two, in theory, if we talk this example, there's two 800-pound gorillas. And you guys are a 600-pound yep. gorilla. You're not you know, not to take yep. anything away. Yep. What, what advice do you give to those people who are in those situations as well, where maybe there is a very high level of, of competition and you are still carving out your niche or you're going to take market share from other people. 
what, what advice do you give them? Do exactly what we did. Here's why. Both of those companies have raised around ballpark $250 million US in funding. We've raised 1% of that. I'm never going to outspend them ever, ever, ever. But what I can do is I can out engage them. So we use social media, we use killer content, and we make, you alluded to it, we put a lot of intentionality into making killer content, killer production, killer guests, killer content. So it gets shared. And we are all over social media. I connect with Scott. I connect with Richard. We respond. We have fun. And then we take the online conversations offline at events. I can do that pretty damn affordably. Social media doesn't cost anything. Content isn't expensive. That's how you do it. You go after them. I'm on your show saying, why are you going after these two vendors? I'm calling them out. I'm not calling them out disrespectfully, but I'm not shying away from it either. You create a persona. Too many people are scared of having a persona. This is who I am. I'm in your face. Hopefully you understand that and then don't take offense to it and hopefully you respect what I'm trying to do. None of that costs money. Just build your brand, build your content, build your presence, engage on social, give back to the community. You will do well. Great, great advice to get out of here on Daryl Prale, one of the best CMOs out there. Always fun chatting with you and sparring a little bit. I really appreciate the time that you spent with us and, and you know, stay in touch. Let us know what we can do to, to help you. And hopefully we can get uh, you down to Costa Rica or Mexico or Nicaragua or wherever the hell we end up next. I'm working on my beach spot. So by September, I should be there, man. Yeah. You and Richard are going to share sunscreen. You're going to have to use a lot of sunscreen. Dale, Dale, you and I can hang out on the beach if you don't. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> all right, brother. Hey, thank you so much, Dale. We really appreciate it. It's all good, man.